Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nuke Jess, and we've got an episode of Nutty Bites for you today. We're going to be talking about why we love short fiction. With me, as always... Hi, I'm Tech, and notice I'm being good. I'm not swearing. See? And I'd like to introduce our very special guest, longtime friend of the podcast, longtime personal friend of... Uh, of Nutty and I, and I have to say, the man that is single-handedly responsible for bringing beards back in fashion, Mr. Hugh himself. Hugh, how's it going? Good. How are you today? I am doing great. So we wanted to talk a little bit about why we love short fiction, but there is a reason. There is a reason that brought us all about for this. Um, Hugh, if you've been following his career and you may have noticed some of his other books out before, he's he's kind of a fan of the drabble. He's a fan of flash fiction. He's a fan of short fiction. But what's ha- what happened this month? Okay, so my first collection of everyday drabbles, uh, The Mountain Shadow and Other Very Short Stories, is now available in ebook from pretty much everywhere as well as print from Amazon. Woohoo, woot, woot. And, and, but you've also pre, pre uh, little, you've also previously published, um, your, you did, uh, uh, flash fiction on Twitter into hundred word stories or something like that. Am I? Yeah. So, um, everyday drabbles is my, you know, daily, um, hundred word short story. Uh, my previous project to everyday drabbles was the city, which was a novella that was based entirely out of, um, 100 word stories. And that was us. The city a story in 140 characters. Gotcha. So basically I had 140 characters. Each of them had a travel and it all told one story. Yes. And we, we have that one downstairs. And now this is a collection of your travels in like an omnibus sort of a thing. Are these the best of the best sort of a thing? Uh, yes. Yeah. So this, uh, everyday travels is a project that started in 2019. Although a few of these did come in um, from my blog in twenty eight at the end of twenty eighteen, um, so this is my three hundred of the best from the first roughly year and a half of the Everyday Drabbles project. So it's uh, three hundred stories plus you know some assorted back matter and other other things. Um, I need to give a shout out to um, the person who is responsible for me to be able to come up with a story every day, and that is. The man, the muttery, the buttery man voice himself, Dave <laughs> Robison, who um, does maintain a private um, flash prompt Facebook group. And he put out an image, you know, pretty much every day. And I was able to use those to, you know, come up with most of the stories. So he also de- deserves a big shout out and thanks uh, for making this book possible. And the 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 project that he started there was just kind of a whim it was hey there's just a couple of my friends i'm going to do this thing for them and seeing the creativity um i i am in that group i don't contribute much but i read uh seeing the creativity from that group has been so inspiring and uh i know that there are quite a few writers that went on and it, it sparked other projects and bigger things. Um, the bathtub mermaid is often getting story ideas from that, that group. But the fact that it's giving you everything that you need, you know, or at least the inspiration that you need to, to continue with that daily, a drabble a day for four years is intense. Um, to be fair, like I, we're at the, about four years and I'm closing in on 1000. So even though it's everyday drabbles, 
we're not getting one every single day. The goal of the project is to sit down every morning and try and write a story. And part of trying to do that every day is that sometimes you don't succeed and that's okay. And that's okay. And sometimes, sometimes that's life, right? Like you sit down, you try to be creative. Some of them work, some of them not so much. Yeah. I, I considered doing like doing a backlog, like, like a web comic so that they'd never, so I'd have stories to go to. And it felt like cheating. Yeah. That's fair. I started this project in, um, in 2018, I transitioned from my day job to working at home from home and I wasn't having that commute. And part of that experience is what I had, as I wasn't having that transition from home to work. And part of the project is that it allowed me to sort of reset my brain in the morning, um, for my day shift. So, so it also did, um, feel like a daily commute. I like that. I like that. And it's a much more productive commute. I mean, uh, I doubt you are slamming on the horn and telling your characters to, um, do something with their hat, uh, as much as you might say if you were behind the wheel. Why, why do you know what my morning commute is like? (laughs) Because I'm from New York and I know what a commute is like. Okay. Well, I may have the arduous commute from my bedroom to the very next room, which is my office. I, I, I've put in the work. I've, I've put in the hours. I am a veteran of the long commute. Ah, yes. The arduous 20 foot commute. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, so jealous. Anyway, uh, so Hugh, uh, you know, I've, I've dabbled in writing a bit myself over the, 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 the many years. As a matter of fact, Nutty and I met writing, uh, many years ago. But like, if I think back to my like live journal days, you know, a, a drabble was this weird sort of like, um, like a scattergories type thing where you would put in words and then it would like spit a story. This is not what you're talking about. So obviously, tech is dumb. Tech has forgotten something. Please define Drabble for me. Okay, so a Drabble is a story that is exactly 100 words long. Okay. So it's sort of like a haiku. It has exact rules you follow. Um, But in this case, the only rule is that it has to be exactly 100 words, and that does not include the title. Um, I was first you know, brought to awareness of drabbles through the um through norm sherman's podcast the Drabblecast, mm-hmm. which um always opened his show with a hundred word story and then they got to the main short story or series of flash fiction stories or what or whatnot and i was like immediately taken by the format and one of the cool things about um that show is that is at the time um they would have a open call for Drabbles. And that would be large, was largely done through their, their web forum. Um, and I was, and I had com- contributed a fair few. Um, none of mine actually were on the main Drabble cast, but, but a few of them were on the sister podcast, which was the dribble cast, which was entirely, um, the fan ra- fan community for that. Show. I, I love that title. I had not, I know of the Drabble cast. I listened to the Drabble cast. Um, Norm is, by the way, such a, a fun person, uh, wrote a song about, uh, Rory once. Um, but the dribble cast I had not heard of and I really love that. I mean, it, it was small. It was kind of just, just like the folks on the forum kicking stuff around. That's great. Um, 
Yeah, but I have I have one that I really enjoyed that was actually one of mine that was read by Rish that I really enjoyed. Um, so it was all sort of like podcasters entertaining themselves, which you know happens sometimes, and and that's okay. You know, sometimes we you get into these. I know people will call it a circle jerk, uh, but sometimes it's it's the um, safe circles. I'll call it mm-hmm. the safe circles where it's you know you can play around and it, you're 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 not worried about people judging you as much and it's it's much more free flowing creative kind of like the the flash group mm-hmm. which i'm not naming specifically <laughs> you know nutty and i if you think way back to the start of uh, of our, rela- our our relationship many many moons ago um yes. that we were part of a um a collaborative writing circle as well that was it wasn't as as I'll say limiting as a drabble it wasn't 100 words but it was short fiction that we had to write and we were given a series of prompts and um the thing i remember is me rage quitting the group because the group was more interested in correcting grammar and typography mistakes than they were giving any sort of actual feedback on the story. And then there were some people that admitted that they weren't even reading the stories. They were just scanning through to, oh, you didn't put two spaces after that, or oh, you, yeah. didn't, you didn't mark that paragraph. And I just, that's not what I wanted. I wanted, <laughs> like, feedback on my writing. Uh, so eh, there was a rage quit there. But this brings up a, a, a question for Hugh. Um like I write technical papers for a living and I, you know, I think my best one so far was 90,000 words, uh, sorry, 90 pages, 18,000 words with a lot of pictures, but a hundred words, man, that's succinct. So how does one, or how long did it take you to stop looking at it as a limit and start looking at it as a, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a drawback. It's a feature, you know? Yeah. So, um, when I first started writing, I was part of a writer's group that specifically did not do critique. Like every time we did critique, it went badly. So we're just sort of like, that, that's not the group we are. So that, that's not what our, their focus was. Um, but we were working out of, um, a writer's, you know, guidebook and we would do exercises at every meeting and we'd always share the exercises without judgment. And, in that space, one of the things I really learned to was was to write a complete story in like 10 minutes. And that's sort of where um, me sort of focusing on Flash came from. So I sort of embraced something as a framework uh, before I sort of thought of anything as a limit. And that was sort of that's sort of why I'm drawn to flash fiction more than I am to long form fiction is because the way my brain works is I want to sit down, I want to do something and I want to have it done. by when I, when I sit back up again, which um, is, is a lot harder to do um, especially with, you know, the way my brain works in for a longer story. Cause, cause if I'm writing a longer story, I've got to write it and then I have to let it set, and then I have to go back to it, and I have to rewrite it, and then I have to edit that rewrite, and then I have to send that to people, and I have to wait, and then I have to get that back. From, but if I'm just writing a 100-word story, I can write a 100-word story, run it through um, to make sure I have made the grammatical mistakes, read it to myself to make sure that it makes sense, and then I can send it out into the world. I'm reminded of, there is this, uh, and I'm sure you've heard this story, about the um, write the write a, hor- write a, a horror movie, or write the shortest story yeah, write the shortest story mm-hmm. and have it still be a complete story. Mm-hmm. And it was the horror story. 
Yes, the okay. horror story. I, re- yeah. I remember it if you don't. So, oh, I do, but okay. uh, you go ahead and tell it. Um, the last man in the world sits alone in a locked room. There's a knock at the door. And then someone shortened it by one letter and made it scarier and said, the last man alive sits alone in a room. There's a lock on the door. And that, it, yeah, gets even scarier. Yeah, I I heard that at Balticon. It was uh, it was the moderator uh, spat out that that little tidbit as a it was a panel on um, immortality, mm. and uh, I brought up the question of immortality not being a good thing, but immortality as a punishment. Yeah, and they the, you know the, the, he hit me back with that that you know doing a story in like you know a sentence. But uh, Hugh, have you? I mean, I can't imagine how great it must feel if you're cracking these out every day as your morning commute and you're just writing and things are flowing and then you hit the last period and then look and your word count's exactly 100. That has <laughs> to be awesome. But, well, yeah? the thing is, is that every every story gets edited no matter what. So yeah, yeah. Um, my process usually is I actually use a website called For the Words, okay. which is a combination browser game and word processor. Um, so it's a kind of a productivity tool, tool, and it also functions as a backup for anything you write on the site, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can, you know, set it so that I want to write a certain number of words, and then I can write that you know, set write that um, to mm. that limit, and then I edit it down to that limit. So usually, what I end up doing is I write a hundred and fifty word story, and then I read it back and decide what works in it. Okay. So, th- and then I going- edit it down to a hundred. So, so then, but then my next question, my next question, I guess, in your editing process, have you ever been stuck at like ninety nine or one hundred one, and just pulling hair out, going? You know, I've I've already shortened all my contractions, or I've already taken out all my contractions, and I'm still stuck one way. Ah! Well, uh, let me put it to you this way: uh, Stephen King says never use adverbs, and I disagree. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, in Kurt Vonnegut's last book, on like page one, he puts one of his rules in a footnote, saying a good writer should never use a semicolon. Halfway through the book, he uses one, and there's a footnote says a good writer also knows when to break his own rules. And that's why we love Kurt Vonnegut. Yes. Absolutely. He's beyond to him. Beyond. Um, I love the idea of the drowl because it is, you know, like you said, it's kind of like a haiku in the sense that it is, um, there's, it's not just I'm writing a really short story. It's, I'm, it's a skill. I have to hit mm-hmm. that exact limit, no more, no less. Um, but what I like about it is, unlike a haiku, it doesn't end up sounding like nonsense. Um, not, not that I'm against haikus. It just, a lot of times, I think... Um, haikus are fun, but sometimes <laughs> they don't make sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the difference between a poem and a story. Yeah. Is that a story documents a change and a poem evokes a feeling. Yes. Right. I like that. Yes. So if you're writing a a poem, the poem can just be about something, but it doesn't need to, like a poem can tell a story. Yeah. But it just evokes a sensation and communicates that. Whereas a story has to have communicate that something has changed. Um, and that is a rule that I actually learned from Cat Rambo. Oh. Is that she always, like, you don't always have to have 
Like, a lot of my characters don't have names. A lot of them don't have descriptions. Um, some of them are, like, bigger than any particular um, one person. Uh, but there's always something changing, even if it's your just your expectation of what the story's about. Um, and th- And that's the thing, like, the last man sits alone in a room. There's a knock on the door. That's, like... We have a state. We have we have some, we know that something has happened, and then that thing changes. Right. Yeah. And uh, also evokes a feeling. <laughs> yes, of, it does. Of absolute horror, which is <laughs> you know. Well, I mean that that that's the thing. That's yeah. that's why you know the really hard okay. ones are horror, erotica, and comedy. Right. Because they're not about characters; they're about feelings. Right. And I'll say, uh, without going any further, I'm really good at one of those three and kind of garbage at the other two. And I'll let you guys pick which one. <laughs> not, a, not everyone on this call has read all of your writing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a hint. It's not horror. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, one of the reasons that I wanted you to come on here is, um, you know, in addition to you have a book coming out and it, that came out and it's really awesome and everything is the idea of short fiction. And I, in certain circles, get into these arguments where people will come up with, I've heard only reading literature is reading, only reading visually is reading, uh, graphic novels don't count as reading. I have heard that short fiction does not count as reading and they are wrong 100% all Reading is reading. Nonfiction reading is reading. Uh, sci-fi, fantasy, poetry, all of this is reading. I had a social worker tell me that nonfiction doesn't count as reading. <sighs> and if it's on a monitor instead of in dead trees in your hands, that is also not reading. He's wrong. He's, <laughs> he's very wrong. <laughs> I, I know many literacy experts that disagree, but uh, that's my little soapbox. Um, all reading is reading. But for me, growing up, a big part of what I was drawn to was the short fiction. It was Edgar Allan Poe stories, uh, Sherlock Holmes stories. Lots of the short fiction was my bread and butter. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of horror, uh, with Edgar Allan Poe, it, it is sometimes short stories, sometimes poetry, always evoking that horror feeling. Um, and I was always very drawn to that. And then when podcasting and came out oh, and serials, I love serials. So like audio drama um, and listening to just short half hour stories was wonderful. And then when podcasting came out, the short fiction podcasts came out mm-hmm. and we've already talked about dra- the Drabblecast, but you know, the escape pod, the, the other, um, the other pods and the other, uh, yes, uh, the, fiction podcasts that were yes, out there. Cause there was escape pod. The escape artist network. Yes. Right. Cause there was escape pod, pseudopod for horror. Was it, what was the, the fantasy one? Was like, it castle? Castle pod. Castle pod. It's podcastle. Podcastle. Ah, oh, I feel bad now. <laughs> and then they do cast of wonders. Oh, I don't know that one. Which is their new one, which is YA. Ah. Oh, and I say that it's new. It's the new one, and that's only a decade old. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Only a decade old. And well, that's the other thing. There's a there's a big. When I say early podcasters, that's what I mean. Early podcasters. I I told somebody once that. Oh, uh, they asked me. Oh, how long have you been podcasting? I said, Oh, you know, about 2011 is when I started my podcast. But I was on some before that, and they said, Oh, that's right around the beginning. I was like, No. 
<laughs> no, not even close. But I, what do you mean? There weren't podcasts in 2005. Yes. I didn't get into, I didn't get into short fiction until later. I, I, I started uh, my, my reading habits as, as young techie is I would, I would devour whole books. And I, you know, I was reading Tom Clancy before I could drive, uh, mm-hmm. type of inhaling novels. But then as I grew up, uh, I just, you know, that long form fiction still holds a place in my heart. You know, I will still go and read a thousand page, uh, you know, fantasy novel from time to time. But having the ability to digest a short story over lunch or, you know, eat a comic book, uh, and then put it down and, you know, have a, have accomplished a thing that's not going to take me six months is, is something different. You know, it's, uh, it's snacks throughout the day. And I very much enjoy that. And, um, I like that I don't have to invest uh, a lot of time and can get a whole thing done and get, uh, you know, that sense of completion. So that makes me happy. As- and I, th- I think that, uh, particularly for genre fiction, the format of the short story works well, uh, because so many of those concepts are just based on ideas. So, so that, so that you can actually do sort of the what if story and have that, you know, go through. And like, not that it's a, not that it holds up well, um, but I am going to point to, um, the cold equations just as the prime example of that. Because like, if you did the cold equations as a novel, it would wear out its welcome very quickly. But the idea is that you just have these two people in a situation and they have to find a solution or don't. Uh, you can give that 20 pages and be very satisfied. You can have Holmes come into a locked room and, and see five dead bodies and say, well, this is how, how it was done. Uh, and you don't have to go through the same sort of arc that a novel or a longer form would need to. Right. Yeah. And, and that's why I think there, if, if you look back into genre fiction's history, I mean, you're talking about the cold equations, that's back in the fifties, but you go back into the forties, the fifties, even the thirties, it's all short stories. It's, um, all the, the, the magazine format and, and collections. And it's still a big thing today. I mean, I think most of the, most of the authors that I tend to read are always contributing to short story um zines. collections mm-hmm. I've, oh, um, we could do an entire episode on zines if we did we would have to invite killfoil right <laughs> but yes zines exactly um, i'm going to take the time to um sh- uh, shout out uh, a good personal friend of mine's new project small wonders um which is a new flash fiction um magazine that was just kickstarted uh, you can sort of see the first magazine. It's being um, co-edited by Cicelyn Smith and Stephen Grenade. Oh. And, and it um, has collected just some of the most beautiful and wonderful short stories of the last couple of years. Um, they do have like a first issue out that has stories from, um, um, let, me, let me get the, it's like um, uh, Charles Taser, Premi uh, Bahamid, Beth Cato, John Waswell. Like there's a lot of really like bangers in there and they yeah. were they were um you know they put out a zero issue that they've been promoting on um social media for the kickstarter that they just completed 
And yeah, every one of those is a hit. Like no misses there. All right, I'm diving into that. That looks great. I'm I'm so out of the loop. I didn't even know. So, uh, note so good. Link to that in <laughs> in the show notes as well as where you can buy Hugh's book. But absolutely, I love it. A lumberjack's guide to dryad spotting. Yes. <laughs> yeah that that one that one is. <laughs> yes. Like just some of the titles. See, that's this is this is the thing that I have read many a series, many a series mm-hmm. that have, you know, 10, 13, 27 in the series, you know, as you go through and they're constantly adding and adding and adding. And sometimes you just want to read a whole story. You know, you just mm-hmm. want to read a story and be done with it. And it's not that I don't like these series, but sometimes it can feel, um, exhausting or uh you need something that's a bit of a break and sometimes it can feel um it feels like a relationship almost you know and and how many of those can can you have and even some of the series that i absolutely love i have found that when the author writes a short story from that series it tends to be better and i'm i'm curious why people think that is so I'm going to say something controversial that may be controversial to you specifically, Nutty. Okay. Um, my favorite George R. R. Martin story out of everything he's done, uh, The Way of Cross and Dragon. The Way of Cross and Dragon. I don't think I've read that. Which one. is a short, which is a science fiction story he wrote and won uh, the Locus Award for in 1977. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I need to look that up. Wow. Also, also to be fair, like... Duncan Egg is way better than the like current timeline. That's where I was going. Song of Ice and Fire. Duncan Egg Duncan is Egg the is best so a Song of Ice and Fire there is. But that's more of a serial than a short story. But it started out as a short story. Now the the the, the thing. I, back to your point, Nutty. Um, my memory is not what it used to be, and it's only getting worse. And if I need to read your book with an Excel sheet and a Wikipedia open to understand what's going on and to make sure that I don't forget what character 36 said to character 35 400 pages ago. I mean, that's entirely one type of fiction, and it's super fun. I mean, I've been reading George Martin since 2003. So, yeah, um, you can enjoy that, and sometimes it's fun. And getting into an argument with, uh, I don't know, one of your best friend's daughter at a restaurant over when did R plus L equals J actually first appear in the book? And then it's a bunch of nerds sitting around a table pushing up their glasses even higher and they're going, well, actually, um, and I'm still right. You're wrong. Sorry. I called that from the first, like, I call, personally, I called that from the first book, but first book. Yes, um, first book. I'm not going to brag about that here. Um, <laughs> but... Um, that's entirely one thing, and it's not something I want to do all of the time. If you're giving me 20 pages, um, 20 pages that I can read and just devour and know everything about the world, and then, you know, it, it's done, that's something else and something that I really, really like. Um, Nutty, do you remember the name of the little short? The, the short graphic novel that was done on Tumblr that I sent you, the god of the god of Arlo, the god of Arwen, the god of oh Arepo, the god of Arepo, the god of Arepo. Yes, have you have you seen that? No, I have not. It's um, it was done. It was the same thing. It was a a, a writing prompt on Tumblr, mm-hmm. um, 
and it was something write something about a um uh, uh an ignored god sitting in a farmer's field and this farmer named Arepo goes and builds a little shrine to this little god and it's called the god of Arepo it's i don't know 20 30 pages uh but and it's not just written by one person oh no i just found the original tumblr post okay and it the first part was written by one person and then it is continued on by another person, ah. a third person. So it, it, it ends up, it's actually written by three different people. Oh, like and then somebody did a, thing. yeah, the, the God of Arepo is an awesome little story, big plug, uh, out there. But, um, that's the type of thing that's, that's capturing my attention now is if I can, if I can read it, ingest it, devour it. And hey, if only somebody had written a book of hundred word stories. Mm-mm. <laughs> If only. If only. Hey, <laughs> yeah, you, would so, you know anybody? Plug. Yeah, I mean, and not for specifically um, flash-level fiction, but for short stories in general, it's watching a movie versus sitting down for a full season of TV. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like, it's that level It's that level of commitment, and you can do... You know, brilliant things in the short in in a short story space, and and I agree that. And I'm going to um, add on that a drabble is kind of along the lines of doing a quick reel or TikTok or Vine or whatever when you're listening to this, whatever the hot short video clip yes. uh, term whatever, is. Whatever website. That, yeah, uh, but know, that, if the that, government has shut down TikTok by the time this comes out. People are going to keep making it. I mean, they they stopped Vine and they kept going. So it, it, it will happen. Uh, they will find a way. Uh, there are some of those mm-hmm. short little videos that are just, they're so much better than a full series. You know, they 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 get the point across. They give you the whole story. Some of them are just dances and not not as, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But some of them are just and I know it's really just, are bangers. I know it's just me as an old man, but, you know, I miss when a TV show, let's say like X-Files or Star Trek, when it would have 22 episodes a season. Half of them were Monster of the Week episodes, and then the other half kind of told a loose story that sort of connected, you know, you connected the dots and the relationships from episode to episode. But every week, you're like, oh, what are we going to get this week? The Monster of the Week episodes, so to speak. Right. And now we're getting 10, 8 to 12 episode seasons that you have to watch all at once. And binge TV, binge watching is entirely a thing, but you have to watch them all. You have to... You can't skip one. You can't miss one. You have to watch them from the beginning to the end with your spreadsheet open because, by (laughs) God, if you missed what the character was holding in episode three and you didn't realize that that was Chekhov's tricorder that he's going to use in episode nine to kill the big monster, well, then you just wasted eight hours of TV watching. And I just, can we just go back to Monsters of the Week, please? Can we go back to short story style Fiction on the Starship Enterprise. So, long story short, I didn't like Picard season three. Um, we haven't finished it yet. <laughs> Shut up. You're going to get us hate mail. Meanwhile, <laughs> by the way, we watch things just, just a disclaimer for everybody. I watch things with tech and he's like, Oh, I like this. I like that. You turn a microphone on. Everything is garbage. Like, okay. I have not seen Star Trek, like a Star Trek thing. The last Star Trek thing I saw was the third Chris Pine movie. Because my husband watched the first parts, like the first, like, oh, like the pilot for Discovery decided that he wasn't into New Trek. And we just have not watched an episode of it since. Oh, 
That's a shame. So I have not seen a thing since. Okay, no. I, to be fair, I did watch like two episodes of Lower Decks and okay. enjoyed it. Um, Lower Decks is awesome. It's my favorite Star Trek. Yeah. Unfortunately, Lower Decks like is like too good for me to continue watching because it reminds me of uh, my friend who loved adult animation who passed away in oh. 2020. Oh, so I'm like, oh, you would have loved this, and that means I'm yeah. sad when I watch this now. Uh, but, but there it'll was take some time before you're willing to get through the crying of all the, to get to the goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a three issue um, Ryan North written Lower Decks comic that is brilliant. Uh, it functioned as like a one episode of a Star Trek TV show. And it is um, a holodeck episode. Oh, oh great. nice. Um, so it, it's basically the Moriarty play the plot, but with Dracula. And it is hilarious. Nice. Uh, apparently, it's also been um, it's also been discussed that Lower Decks is canon as belonging to the animated universe from the original animated TOS show from the sixties, and um, the oh, what's the three D animated one? Nutty the um, the Star Trek one with the um, this computer animated Prodigy, movie. maybe? Pro- yeah, Prodigy. yeah, Prodigy. That's, that's the one, Prodigy. Um, that apparently Prodigy and Lower Decks are going to have a crossover because they are going to go to the animated universe. No one knows how it's going to be done. Even the even the 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 crew on the show has no idea how they're going to make it happen. But they're like, by gosh, we will go to the Lower Decks universe. So I think that'll be fun. Well, I mean, like Lower Decks has a bunch of the aliens that only showed up in the animated series because yes. they couldn't do them in practical effects. Right. That, the, the There's a like king the doctor has the is doctor. a cat person. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, our I, occasion. I yeah, I will I will only throw this out there as to, as a, as a two-word teaser, Cetacean Ops. Cetacean Ops, yeah. Yeah, they they did Cetacean Ops. It's fantastic. But um I'm going to point out that that one-shot comic book is also short fiction. I do love yes. a good one-shot comic. Mm-hmm. I do love a single story. I mean, some of the best Batman um stories were single volume trades um kevin smith i'm looking at you (laughs) that was not a single volume they were really good he stopped at two even though he told us he had three in him he he, didn't well he actually stopped at one yeah the second one is what was kind of left over that was sort of cobbled together and we never got the completion of the story um uh i also got to talk about you know um the the harleen Three, yes, uh, three volumes that came out the the origin story of Harley Quinn done by Stefan Sedic, which is absolutely incredible. It's quite good. It's quite mm-hmm. good. Um, and I'll I'll also throw in there the uh, the the Harley Quinn comic based on the new Harley Quinn uh, TV show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That is fantastic read. Yeah, and and is that a Teeny Howard joint? Or out. is she writing the main series? I can't mm. remember. The Harley Quinn animated show is. Um... Yeah, I I watched the first season of that and loved it. Um, it's so good. Um, like just such a clever reinterpretation of those characters, but also there's just some stuff that's like really dumb and funny, like the way they do Bane. I love Bane. Bane is my favorite. (laughs) He is such a great character. Like they just treat the mask as his face and I love it. And, um, the, um, uh, Clayface, which decided to just read, um, Alan Rickman in Galaxy Quest as like his entire being, like yeah, like the them going back to to that character just being a failed actor 
Yeah. Uh, and leaning so hard into it. It is, it is, is fantastic. Very good. Um, <sighs> like just the whole, the whole thing with, um, the way they do Damian Wayne, who is yes. an extremely serious character in, in the continuity, except when he adopts a cow. But, um, um, I, I do love that show. Uh, it's another good show, but, uh, also not a short story. No, not a short story. But, um, yeah, uh, uh, the, the, but the comic is because it is one of these things where it's, um, you know, just a segment. And I also, yeah, because the love... comic, the comic is the story that links season one to season two. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's their honeymoon adventures. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, there's, and hmm? I, I would point out that, um, the big two, uh, publishers, DC and, and Marvel for comics have been putting out a lot of, um, themed anthologies lately. That's where um, I was going. Yes. In addition to that, I got a Harley Quinn anthology mm-hmm. and it's everybody's writing different. Continue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, in particularly, um, they've both been doing the last couple of years fantastic, really well, um, edited, like all star, uh, important in stories um particularly for pride month uh, yes. like both dc and marvel um the dc one last year and this year both featured stories by jadzia axelrod that were fan freaking tastic yes um, um we all know dc's <laughs> like dc has done or marvel has done a ton of different um anthology issues their their lines called voices um and they've done like like a, like a women's issue um uh Various, um, BIPOC issues. Um, they've done a lot of pride issues. Um, and they're all just really great spotlights on characters that don't really get a lot of screen time. Um, and they've been, and then they've like pushed some characters that are great. Like, um, they even have one for indigenous voices, which I, oh yeah, they did, they did the indigenous voices issue that was really good. Um, like, where else are you going to get a story about? second werewolf by night that's important um so um they're just really great store great books to pick up um they've you know perfect bound a lot of them they've they've put a lot of effort into making those available to people uh and also uh speaking of comic short stories last week was free comic book day so and you can probably find a bunch of those free comics online, but also go to your shop and and see what they have there because comic yep. shops are important. And uh, what I've been hearing is a lot of local libraries have been mm. collecting what was given not given out on free, like that libraries are given permission to continue handing out free comic books from Free Comic Book Day, which oh, cool. is really co- kind of cool. I'm seeing a, a lot of that in uh, my feed. People saying, "Yeah, I missed Free Comic Book Day, but I went to my library and was able to clean up." So that's kind of exciting. I love that. Uh, I love the comic anthologies, uh, just like you're mentioning here, because again, comics are a commitment. If you miss a series or uh, a couple of issues or you're reading your series and suddenly they do a crossover and they're in another comic, but you didn't know and you didn't know that to buy those issues, you can end up completely lost and not know what happened mm-hmm. in the other in your storyline. Whereas with the anthology series, you can get the whole feel of the characters, the important stories, the the fun and everything that you need from it. From just just a single issue, essentially, because mm-hmm. if it's an, an anthology, it's multiple issues. And that just scratches that itch for me. 
Cause I right. am at a point in my life where I do not have time to devote to this is my comic. This is the comic that I read. Oh, but I also have to buy these issues because my characters went off and did an adventure over there and it's affecting what's happening in my main series. It's like when somebody says, Oh, you have to watch this TV show. It's really, really good. I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, how many seasons has it got? Well, it didn't really get good till season three. So just power through the first two 22 episode seasons. And then you'll be ready for season three, and it's awesome. It's like, I am not watching 44 hours of television <laughs> to wait for it to get good. Right. Like, like for for me, that's always, like, particularly Star Wars um, content, yeah. because Star Wars is so vast a property mm-hmm. that they're doing all sorts of things with it. It's like, oh, you have to watch all this stuff from the Clone Wars. Yeah. And, and, there, and it's just like, so power through so much Jar Jar... <laughs> to get to this plot for these characters who become like super important in the Mandalorian and you're not going to understand Look. yeah no you can skip the Clone Wars and still watch Mando yeah we did well <laughs> we I did. watched season 2 and I was sort of like okay I guess this lady with the hair is important yeah uh, Ahsoka <laughs> I mean but the the thing is I didn't watch the Clone Wars I knew who Ahsoka was but mostly well, I mean, I knew who Ahsoka was uh, like the like Katie Sackhoff's character in that. Oh like, yeah, I had yeah. no. I'm gathering clue. that there's stuff going on with her, but I have no. Like I'm sure if I watched any of the Clone Wars or beyond five episodes of Rebels, I'd know what's going on with her. But yeah, I I I had no clue. I had no idea Bo-Katan was from anything else, and everybody's going on and on about Bo-Katan. I'm like. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And for a long time, I was judging Katie Sackhoff because I was thinking, I know she's a better actress than this. Why is she just so cold? What is going on here? And and why is she moving like that? Every time she walks, she walks a little weird. And then I saw uh Katie talking about it, how mm. there's a clip of her from when she was recording the lines for Clone Wars. And she was very animated with her face. But then if you watch... The actual show, her character's face is always very stoic. And when she moves, she moves in that weird way. So Katie Sackhoff was matching her body movements and facial movements to what the animators decided. Yeah. She says, like she's I like, love being able to act with the helmet on because I can do whatever I want with my face. <laughs> uh, another one for me and writers politics aside, uh, the Harry Potter universe. There's just so much in it now that I feel like the only way for me to start reading it would be to become 12 again. Yes. And mm-hmm. and start as a kid and, you know, devour it throughout my development like everyone else did. And the fact that I completely missed it and have never read a stick of it, I never will read uh, a line of it because it's just, there's just so much and it's so dense that... Okay, but can to be to, to, to counter that, Dragonlance. Ah. You know, I read the first Dragonlance books and bounced off it because I read them before I was fully invested in D&D. Yeah. Uh. And I never went back to them. So I'm like, I get what they're doing, but... This is now, not for now, me. I don't. I don't know what you're trying to say here, Nutty. I didn't read all the Dragonlance novels. I. I think I stopped at about twenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but telling somebody, you know, for instance, Hugh, Hugh's not going to go back and watch, uh, uh, watch, read all of the Dragonlance. No. 
because and, honestly, there's much better things that he could be reading oh, now. And, you know, same thing with, uh, you know, like R.A. Salvatore, uh, the story of Dritz de Worden. I bounced off that after 14 books when I grew up faster than his writing did and I wanted more. And I, well, I mean, it. I read the first 10 books of Wheel of Time. Okay. And, you know, I, I read the last one that the original author wrote before he passed. And that's where I'm like, no, I. That's the one that Brandon Sanderson finished. Uh, well, right? Brandon Sanderson wrote a trilogy that ended it. Okay. But I can't remember what the last book that um, Robert Jordan actually wrote, wrote, but it had a lot of problems. Mm. Okay. Um, like it gets very misogynist very much repeatedly oh. and like there's a lot of spanking in that book and i'm like who edited this <laughs> this is a problem weird now i i have not read the wheel of time series and i i wonder is it possible that part of the problematic elements and the lack of editing is due to the fact that the man had died or was dying and they're like we just want to get his last book out yeah, I mean that it's entirely possible that they're sort of like, well, he's dying and we can't go back to him, so we're just gonna put it out there and shrug. So I read two of Octavia Butler's non-series full-length novels. There's only two that she's done that are not connected to a series and are full-length novels. The one everybody knows is Kindred, and then the other one I forget what it is, but it's a vampire one. The vampire one is not good. It is like night and day between Kindred and the vampire one. And the vampire one she did, it was the last thing she wrote. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to wonder if that has something to do with, and, and Kindred she wrote very early in her career. And I have to wonder if that has something to do with the striking difference between the two, the two pieces of work. Also, there's, there's also situations where, the last thing someone's wrote is the manuscript they found in their office when they passed that they had never planned to release. Yeah. Well, this one, I think she was still alive at the time, but yeah, that does happen as well. Oh, uh, D- I, Douglas Adams, the salmon of doubt. Yeah. I will, I will yeah. not be um, reading that Harper Lee book uh, because she said she didn't want it published. Yeah. And I, I, I do not agree with them publishing it against her wishes. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, no, I agree. And so there's there's just there's always that little like, hmm, I wonder what happened there. Or it could have just been, oh, that's what happened. He he just fell into, as you said, uh misogyny and spanking. So um <laughs> and and hard pivoting away from that. And uh, <laughs> going with uh you know, back to my we're talking about like the love of short stories, the fact that I can I can take a whole story and then turn it away. But there's nothing wrong. And I got to say, I really enjoy serialized short stories mm-hmm. yeah. like episodes of a comic book or episodes of a TV show where I can digest it in an easy chunk. And I got to give a big shout out to uh, Jeff DeRigo. Yes. For Union Dues. For the Union Dues uh, superhero stories that he did where he world built. A, uh, a a universe of superheroes, and then every episode, every story was a short story uh, about one superhero in particular navigating the world that he constructed. And as a whole body of work, they're fantastic. The, the YA ones that he did did not have the best narrators because he decided to go with teenage narrators for YA stories, and the narrators are amateurs and not the best. But uh, other than that, 
uh, awesome short fiction, and uh, I, I found that it worked really well. I, I really enjoyed that story. I, I I agree. I love that series. And, and if you're listening to this and saying, I, I don't know what that is, and you start looking it up and you say, oh, this looks a lot like The Boys, um, there is definitely some similarities, but it, he wrote it first. Uh, then, then I'm also th- reminded of um, another podcast, Metamore City, where... Mm. It came from an original like writing community where they had developed this idea and everyone wrote stories in it. And then, um, Chris Lester made a podcast of the stories he wrote in it. And, um, you know, there were lots of different stories and you were jumping in and out and, and uh, it can be a lot of fun, uh, getting into something like that. I'm trying to think. I know that there are more that I'm not thinking of right now, but I do love the idea of, you know, just short stories from a really fun and rich world. Uh, and speaking of that, um, I, I have to, so back, uh, you know, saying that, you know, we met in a collaborative writing group, we met in an online sort of a freeform role playing group and that we would have different genres and different worlds that we would build and different stories that we would tell and we would tell them in a collaborative uh, mm-hmm. way where I write, you know, what my character's doing, you write what your character's doing, and then we just sort of write back and forth in this world. It was and online role-playing. Online role-playing. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was collaborative short fiction, it, it, what it ended up being. And uh, you came up with a a writing exercise, a little game that we could play. Instead of, like, writing the regular oh, yes. that we did, you came up with a really, really fun little game to play called Kill Your Darlings. Yes. Where the idea is that you had to write a story or like a short scene in which your favorite character loses and that you would give us different prompts and that it had to be that your character loses. Because the thing is, is that in a role playing game, you're, you're the hero, you're the champion, your character is, you know, they're, they're the, they're the hero of the novel. So of course they have to win. Mm-hmm. And that leads to a lot of Mary Sueism and a lot of like these like superhero, half dragon, half immortal, half vampire, you know, superhero god characters that never lose anything. But then purposely writing a story where your character loses became so much more fun that I, I actually wrote a character for this game and then decided to make it into a bit of a longer form where I'm just never letting this character win at anything. He's just. The, the slapstick victim of chance and circumstance and just happens to be this poor sad sack billionaire that has everything handed to him, but he can never, ever, ever win ever. And then I, I, I think you, you finally, um, you, you finally gave us the writing prompt where I was actually allowed to let him win and, yeah. and he, and he didn't know what to do with it because he'd never won before. But I, I just love that. You know, that you can play that type of game and that you can do, uh, you know, Hugh, you mentioned at the very beginning, you know, the whole what if thing that you can do a chain of what ifs and just completely throw your world on its head. And, um, you know, what if Xavier died? What if Magneto formed the X-Men? What if, uh, you know, Wolverine killed Jean Grey in a fit of rage? You know, you can throw these, yeah. these, these what ifs and have a lot of fun with it. I've, I've got a, um, one of the, the challenge prompts. I was able to find it. Okay. Uh, normally your character is really good at something, but today they're failing at it miserably. Ah. <laughs> so little prompts like that, you know, um, yeah, I forgot about that. That was a fun, that was a fun game. Yeah. And, um, going back to, um, 
like serialized, very short fiction, I would be remiss and probably will be yelled at if I don't mention Flash Pulp. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking um, which, of short stories yeah. within a single world. Which is actually cl- like rocketing towards its episode 600 finale as yeah. we speak. Oh, wow. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's hundreds of episodes with these very rich characters in these horror and, um, like urban fantasy settings. Um, and it's just the, um, it always amazes me the amount of economy in Jared's writing. Yeah. Because there's multiple stories all being told different. It feels like different universes. And as you get towards the end of the 600, you, we, we're all realizing that they're all mm-hmm. in the same world and they're all leading to the same place. Um, but it always feels like they're just, they're all self-contained stories but they're definitely headed to the same place like it's it's really impressive this is this is not really a a spoiler because they do bring it up a lot but the world uh, but the the setting revolves around this chthonic like unearthly horror called carwick the spider god yes and as the the series goes along you realize that these are all these stories are all threads in a web that's coming together. And now that he's at like 580, we see the shape of it. And it's sort of like, well, well I would be swearing right now, but I'm not doing that. But yes. it's uh, <laughs> well, amazing. Well, the thing that I find funny like, is way back when, when it started, he told us there were 600 episodes. Mm-hmm. And all I can think is, that's not true. You can't know that there's 600. Like, you can't. But... Like I am waiting for him to release a print version and then release the Silmarillion version of <laughs> uh, Flash Pulp, where we get like the the plot for the six hundred and how he came up with that. Yes, yes, it's it is a really good series, uh, and it's definitely something that you can go back through and you can go back through the archives. Uh, what I like is that they always have like little extra things in, you know, th- there was a time that they were doing uh, discussion shows and little game shows and different things, but you can always tell what the content is and it's organized in such a way that if you want to go through um, specific arcs, you can, if you want to listen to all the Ruby in a row, you can listen to all the Ruby in a row. If you want to, uh, listen to all of the black halls, you can listen to all the black halls in a row or any of the different threads. Um, so that you can find, I believe at flashpulp.com. Definitely a, a huge, like, I love, I love, I love, um, what, what Jared has put together there for Mm -hmm. the, this universe and these stories. Um, and it even spurred some other, uh, short fiction and flash and serialized fiction because there were listeners who would just start sending in stories. And, uh, as I recall, we were at the finale live at Balticon once for one of these, these, uh, stories that just came out of everybody listening to, to this, this universe flashbulb. Yeah. Th- like this would not have happened without flashbulb as as uh inspiration to like jared and the whole whole skinner co really opened my eyes on what flash fiction can do in a lot of ways yeah that it doesn't have to just be a one-off and it 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 can be continuous and yes i I love that you've you've already said that your book would not exist without 
the flash writing group without flash pulp, you know, that you've got all of these extra influences. And I love how, you know, you said that when you first were in your first writing group, you didn't really critique or anything. And I've always felt that critique is is something that I want from a writing community, but I've been in a different writing circles where sometimes they are the type that inspires and encourages mm-hmm. and everything else. And sometimes they are, they are not, Oh, I'm just looking for spelling errors. Well, I don't care about the spelling error errors. I have a computer that can do that for me. Um, right now I want to know wh- what about my story sucks, you know, uh, <laughs> things like that. And then, um, but it is by, listening to others and reading other people's work and seeing what other people are doing, getting that, that inspiration. I love when art inspires other art and Mm -hmm. through the digital world, through podcasting, through these various friend groups, we've definitely found that, um, that niche, you know, that, that, that need to get that inspiration, but also to scratch that itch kind of a thing. Right. Like I, I definitely feel like I'm a very, like I, I'm not a collaborative writer, but I thrive in that sort of environment of um, we're all, you know, observing each other, and we're all we're all in this together, and we're all working together, uh, even if we're working separately. And that was um, true for the Buffalo Writers Group, with which is you know the group I was originally in, uh, which started out um, through National Novel Writing Month, and then has continued. Um, on through uh, being a part of the like podcasting community that was um, arranged around, um, you know, Balticon and and all of those folks who came together and and sort of formed a support group for one another, and out through um, Smoky Writers, which is an annual retreat that I go to that is uh, you know organized by the estimable um, Alex White, uh, and they just have created such an amazing environment to write there with uh, so many amazing, outstanding creative people who have inspired me in so many different ways. Uh, even just from, you know, hanging out and, you know, working alongside them. So that, that is definitely the garden my creative flow goes in. Um, so it's, it's been a great thing to be a part of so many wonderful communities who have um, shown me so much support. Yeah, I, I, I really want to thank the advent of the internet community. You know, everybody, not everybody, but you hear a lot of mm-hmm. people are saying, Oh, everybody's on their phones and everybody's only online. And uh, I get so much flack for zoom call is not a, a replacement for real interaction. And my argument has always been sometimes it is. Um, and, and I would have hoped that the pandemic would have shown people this, but unfortunately it made people some people a little angrier towards the internet even more so, but without the internet, I wouldn't know. Well, I wouldn't know you, Hugh. I wouldn't know tech. I wouldn't know a whole bunch of people that are those people that do inspire me. Um, and being able to create, like you said, alongside, uh, is, is really helpful. And I have learned I am not a writer. I may enjoy writing characters. I may enjoy role playing. I'm not a writer. I can't do what you do. Uh, but sometimes it's fun. But what I have noticed is that when I am consuming the fiction that all of you are writing, then I'm getting ideas for what mm-hmm. I am, which is an artist and a visual artist. And I, it really does inspire the, the visual art. So I am just here for it. 
by that same token, I am not an artist and, um, I have, like, I am not a designer and I have learned that where my limits are. And I've also made connections with amazing groups of people who can, who can, uh, fill in that support when I, when I need it. So that, that's one of the, um, great things about our communities is that they're no, we're no longer limited to, um, the people who can make it to your local comic or your local coffee shop yeah. uh, at the specific time. Like I can like this, the artist who did this cover is uh, working out of Europe, but I was able to find their work and then commission the cut co- and then, you know, purchase the cover from them. Um, and I was, yeah, I, I've seen so many amazing artists, writers, um, audio producers, uh, we editors, editors. We were, a multi-talented community. And part of that is finding not just what your talent is, but how your talent meshes with other people's. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One of of the great, I think revolutions that's happened with as communication is getting easier and easier with uh, social media and discord and other tools. I find that, even in say the last 10 years, a lot of these communities, just by the the fact that it's now so easy to find a group of like-minded individuals that share whatever your passion is, that these communities have become a lot friendlier and that a lot of the gatekeeping that used to exist that would keep people out of comic book shops or that would keep you out of a writer's circle or would keep you out of that coffee shop, they seem to have evaporated in a lot of I, I'm not saying they're all gone. I'm saying in a lot of cases, those gatekeeping jerks seem to get shoved away, and that no matter what your hobby is, there is a community out there, and there is a welcoming community out there that would love some new blood. Uh, and in the case of vampire groups, probably literally, uh, <laughs> that they are they are looking for new people to come in to ask those questions so that they can answer them and that you can join and start having fun in their community and start contributing. And I've been, uh, it's just, it's so much easier now than it used to. And it's so much fun that you can go somewhere and find a group of like-minded people who share your niche little hobby that you thought you were the only one in your village and all of a sudden you find there's a whole world of people out there who want to talk about the ballistics of shooting on Mars or sumo <laughs> wrestling or obscure 1960s uh, avant-garde hippie trippy TV shows uh, or professional wrestling or you know what or professional mm. wrestling on Mars you know whatever <laughs> the thing is there's a group out there yeah. for it and it's great I and, agree and yeah I think that you know those groups that, like they still exist. But there's so much on the internet at this point, despite, you know, corporate's attempt to, you know, just promote its own self, is that there's no reason to stay in a place that has bad vibes. Yeah. No, exactly. And and I'm going to say, with the advent of everything that we've been talking about, not just the internet, but the internet does provide a space for this, but with podcasting, with um, short fiction, serialized fiction, all sorts of things we're not beholden to the big three or the big five in publishing anymore. There are independent publishers and there is a big difference between independent publishing and what we used to call vanity press. You know, vanity Mm. press was, Oh, I I wrote this thing. I just want to print the book for me and anybody else that wants to read it. And 
actual independent publishing where people are putting things out and it has editors working on it. It has everything else. And you may end up seeing that more than somebody who signed with a big publisher because the big three or the big five or whatever, big six or whatever the number is today, because I think they're all owned by the same company anyway. Um, mm. They're promoting their top people. And if you are like new author and you're not on the Oprah or the Obama or the whoever influencer book list, they're not doing any of your promotion. They're not promoting you at all. You have to do your own promoting and the independent authors have, they have these networks, they have these outlets and short fiction has come back to life because of this. So you guys both heard about BD Wolfwood, right? No. No, please tell me. Okay. So uh, I apologize if this counts as a swear. Okay. But um, a Twitter Trigun fan uh, fan poster going under the name Bigless Dickless Wolfwood. Uh, <laughs> okay. I think that counts because we're quoting something. Okay, uh, continue. Put out a tweet that talked about how much they loved uh, This Is How You Lose the Time War. Like last week. So let me see if I can find the um, quote. So so the original tweet um, was um, it's like, they have a picture of, of this is how you lose the time war. It's like, read, read, this is how you lose the time war. Do not look up anything about it. Just read it. It's only like 200 pages. You can download it on Audible. It's only like four hours. Do it right now. I'm extremely serious. And they put that tweet out into the world. And then this book from 2019 became an Amazon number one bestseller in like all categories. Oh wow. Like like they up like a anime fan poster just upended publishing marketing and like all of science fiction writing Twitter has just sort of been like blinking and looking at each other for like a week. Like what just happened? How did and he somehow, do that? Yeah. Uh, and somehow this anime um S poster just like also found themselves like at the center of how marketing works in in science fiction publishing now and they're just sort of like i don't know how this happened i just post pictures of trigon oh what was that uh nutty what was I the name of that the, what was the name of the the movie they made about the star trek fans oh the documentary wasn't it trekkies yeah trekkies yeah uh, there's a scene at the end of Trekkies where they're talking to a teenager about the work that he's been doing. He's like, well, I've been writing this story for a little while now, and I want to show you. And he turns the monitor of his computer around in his bedroom to show you the design of a ship. This is a Riemann battleship called the Scimitar, and I'm writing a story about the Romulan-Riemann War. And it's it's just some nerd in his in his bedroom showing you the design of this spaceship that he's made yeah, that's Star Trek Nemesis. Like, they made that. They made that into one of the mainstream Star Trek movies. This was just some dude in his bedroom living the, that, that is like the fantasy of every Star Trek fan, right? That your Star Trek fan story becomes an episode? Well, it happened, actually happened for this one dude. I think that one was in Trekkies too, but yeah, and it was, they even featured the fact that Star Trek has always taken spec scripts. They've always accepted spec scripts. And this kid is talking about how he sent one off. And when they filmed that, I don't think that they ever thought it would have become Nemesis, the last TNG movie. Right. Uh, 
Oh, uh, but but yeah, no, that I love. What I'm not you, saying it was a good movie. I'm saying it was a movie. <laughs> I'm saying it looked better when the kid wrote it. Um, <laughs> but the fact that one tweet got this book up uh, out on the uh, Amazon bestseller list, and we were talking about this a little while ago. the The whole idea of bestseller lists. If you look at the New York Times bestseller list and you actually crunch the numbers. It has nothing to do with being a bestseller. And it ha- there is a lot more that goes into that. It has a lot to do with what the publishers want to see on that bestseller list. I think there's a lawsuit about that, actually. Yeah, there's one happening right well, now. Well, I mean, but like it, with just one tweet, yeah. like somehow they overturned the algorithm to like rocket. Um, Was this it frankly even- amazing book. So if you have not read, honestly, I'm all Amatar and Max Gladstone's This is how you win the town. Just they're not wrong. Go read so, it. So so the, the 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 advertising was correct. It is a great book. Right. I we mean, all need to wa- read it. So the and post- I mean it was it won like the Hugo, the Nebula, et cetera, et cetera. Like it is a brilliant uh time travel epistolary alternate reality lesbian love love story thing. You're saying all the words I like. Yeah, it the 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 poster that wrote, that that put that tweet on that anime group that you need to read this mm-hmm. book. Is that person in any way related to the authors? Was it one of the authors or just no. a fan? No, this is literally just a fan posted a thing like another thing they liked okay. and the algorithm just kind of hit because all of those things that like happen were true. Like the person legitimately loved the work. Love the book. The book was legitimately good. And the person making the, like, Wolfwood, BD Wolfwood had, like, put in the work and was a respected member right. of the anime, like, fan community. Right. Like, people, like, it wasn't marketing. And right. people yeah. saw that it wasn't marketing and they, you know, believed in it. Like, it's entirely a heartwarming story of the little guy winning somehow. I love this. I love this so much. And that, that to me has, is, everything about our community it is that word of mouth it is that you know hey let's talk about this thing um i recall many a website getting shut down by word of mouth being very strong you know that sort of a thing not because we were trying to bring down a website just because we just all happened to go there at the same time it wasn't a an actual ddos it was just Mm -hmm. We crashed it. We crashed it. It was very popular. I'm sorry. It happens. <laughs> um, and these are, these are successes. And I feel so bad for all the websites that well, went, when well, it, we got to up our servers and we got to do this. Oh, wait, where is everybody? You know, when, when, an, when an independent author becomes so successful that he gets approached by the big six and they write the, the number of, you know, the, the number that they're going to pay him on a card and they slide it across the metaphorical desk and he looks at it and he goes, I make more than this in a month publishing it by myself and they're like well there's no way that's true he's like well fine keep your money then i'll keep publishing it myself i'll be just fine on my own just fine on my own and he still is and he's still doing great so So i just i i i love what has come about and what i love is that there's more short fiction for us there's drabbles and i love that like you said it's a break for you it's kind of your commute to write them but to read them it's it's better than doom scrolling, you know? It's better than uh anything else. It's I need to take a break. I need to just read something, think about it, and then move on. Uh yes. 
tech is always talking about when the day is really stressful, you need to take five minute vacations. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes I go out on my back deck. Sometimes I go and I, I read something quick and it, it's that five minute vacation. Exactly. Well, Hugh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and getting into this wind about discussion about short fiction it's, and it's other been a good things. Discussion. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. And can you tell people again, how can they find your work? How can they buy this book from you? Okay, the Mountain Shadow and other very short stories are, is available on uh, Amazon, Smashwords, Apple Bookstore, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, pretty much anywhere books are, books and ebooks are sold. Um, you can also follow my follow it free online. Um, go to everydaydrabbles.com, uh, everydaydrabbles.substack.com or follow or search for the group on Facebook to, you know, get those daily drabbles. You can read them all for free online. Um, or you can, you know, get the handy dandy ebook. Uh, I will be doing a live, uh, signing at Pulp 716 in North Tonawanda, New York on July 1st. So, uh, come down to North Tonawanda to have a bubble tea if you are in the area. Um, but yeah, the best way to find it is to get in my link tree, which is link.tr, linktr.ee slash Hugh J. O'Donnell, or just follow, uh, go to everydaydrabbles.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. And um, thanks for joining us. So I'm going to ask the listeners, let us know what is some of your favorite short fiction? Like what is the short fiction that you like to consume the most? Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And before we go, I just want to make sure that I am thanking the patrons without whom there would not be two episodes a month. We would not be continuing to podcast uh, every single month, possibly as things get crazy. So thank you so much for that support, for letting us know that you care and that you want to hear us rambling and nerding out. So thank you so much to our top tier patrons, our big daddies. Thank you to Jax, the toppest, tierest, biggest daddy. Thank you to Jason and Rich the TT. Thank you to our patrons of the arts. Thank you to Kaylin, Mark Cabot, the encaffeinated one, the bathtub mermaid, Susanna. And thank you to all of our other patrons, the lifeblood, those of you that keep the lights on, keep things going and are the heart of the party. Thank you so much to Shane, Selgenor, Andy, Clifford, Grig, Harold, Hugh. Hey, I know that guy. I just heard him talk for a whole bunch. Ian, Justine, Ken, Kinsey, Crazy Joe Adventures, Mike, PCAT, Radical Geek, Stephen, Will, and Zachman. Thanks so much, everyone. Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42. 
That's the first time I've listened to that outro in a while. I think I need to re-record it because we also have a Discord now and we're not that active on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Something to do before the summer. We'll see.